If you could take just one book of the Bible with you to a desert island, uh, what would it be? Which one would you take? Well, uh, maybe your first choice wouldn't be Isaiah. But actually, Isaiah has been called the Romans of the Old Testament. Of course, we studied Romans uh, recently. Isaiah resonates with the same central themes we see in Romans of sin, but also salvation. Uh, It's been said that uh, Isaiah is an amazing book which sums up uh, the whole salvation story uh, better than any other book in the Bible. And interestingly to note that of all the Old Testament books, Isaiah is the one that is quoted the most in the New Testament apart from the Psalms. Also, if you're ever reading the New Testament uh, apocryphal book of Revelation, you know it's got lots of imagery in it, uh, but a lot of that imagery is taken from Isaiah. And so Isaiah, therefore, gives us the context for understanding, particularly, uh, and it's the key to unlocking a lot of the imagery in the book of Revelation. So uh, let's think about the sort of uh, book it is. Uh, And we see in the opening verse of Isaiah that it tells us what it is. Look at 1 verse 1. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So it's in a historical context. Uh, This prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, has been given a vision. The question is this. Uh, Why should we be remotely interested at what possible relevance could there be for us today in a vision given to some guy uh, 2,800 years ago about a city 2,200 kilometers away? Well, uh, you probably have to be the sort of person who was into the uh, ABC history programs to get excited about what was going on during the reigns of kings in the 8th century B.C., So, uh, it would be good, therefore, to start with a couple of reasons as to why Isaiah is worth us reading and engaging with. Firstly, uh, Isaiah is God's vision. Uh, In the Old Testament, generally, the word vision comes up 35 times. And every time the word vision occurs, it refers to a truth disclosed by God. And so therefore, the vision of Isaiah is what God has disclosed. It's the truth he has revealed. Uh, The book is divine revelation, Uh, supernatural disclosure, a message from God himself. Uh, Verse 2 says, the Lord has spoken. And we know from the New Testament, of course, 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, all scripture is God breathed. So, uh, this vision is not just of limited historical interest. Uh, The ancient text is God's word through which God speaks to us today. Uh, The second thing worth noting about Isaiah, not just that it's God's vision, but it is a big vision. Uh, You might think that's not a reason to read on. Uh, The sheer size of Isaiah could put some off, 66 chapters in all. Uh, It is a big book. But it's a big book because it's a big vision. The vision of Isaiah is a heading for the whole book. The whole thing is one big integrated vision, and it begins with Judah and Jerusalem, 
but it is in fact about the whole world. And by chapter 2, verse 2, we're reading about how all nations are affected. And by the end of the book of Isaiah, we're dealing with a new heavens and a new earth. It goes to a cosmic perspective by its end. So, uh, it is a breathtaking vision which takes us from the 8th century BC uh, through history to the end of time and on into eternity. And we get to see through God's eyes what is going on and what he is up to and where everything is heading. So therefore, it needs to be a big book given everything it is covering. Uh, Most weeks, of course, we're interested in the minute detail of everyday lives and yet this vision takes us out of ourselves. This vision points us to the bigger canvas of history and God's purposes. It takes us away from a moment-by-moment preoccupation with our plans uh, to God's plans for time and eternity. And therefore, you see, it delivers us from being short-sighted. It gives us perspective in life. So, uh, what are we going to see today in Isaiah? We're going to break it down, uh, chapter 1, into three sections. Uh, Firstly, spiritual rebellion. Uh, Secondly, empty religion. And thirdly, divine resolution. Uh, So, verses 2 to 9, spiritual rebellion. The question is this. uh, What is God saying to us through the book of Isaiah? Uh, Isaiah does not begin on a positive note. Uh, we actually find ourselves in a courtroom scene in which God is laying out the charges against his people. Uh, Look at verse 2. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Uh, The first five chapters of Isaiah are an introduction to the whole book, and they bring us face to face with a rebel people. And this is the context into which Isaiah was called. Uh, Particularly in chapter 6, we're going to see he is there called to be God's spokesman. So this theme of rebellion runs right through chapters 1 to 5. Look at uh, chapter 1, verse 5. Why do you persist in rebellion? Verse 20. But if you resist and rebel. Uh, Verse 23. Your rulers are rebels, verse 28, but rebels and sinners both will be broken. Uh, You get the point. Uh, Verse 2 makes makes clear what kind of rebellion we're talking about. Uh, The Lord says of these people in verse 2, they have rebelled against me. It's a rebellion against God. But the shock in the passage is, is that the rebels here were God's people. Uh, chapter, chapter 1, verse 2 again. Hear, O heavens, listen, O earth. That is actually language taken from the book of Deuteronomy when God makes his special covenant with his people. Uh, these people were the descendants of Abraham, the descendants of Isaac, the descendants of Jacob. Uh, these are the ones whom God had chosen to be his very own. Uh, These were the people who God had rescued from Egypt. Uh, He'd made his covenant with them. He'd given them this land. And he'd been like a loving father to them. 
Look at verse 2 again. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. Uh, Verse 4 highlights the four privileges they had. Uh, God had made them a nation. He'd made them a people. Uh, The offspring of Abraham, children. But they had become, according to verse 4, and it says this, a sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. How tragic. God had showered them with spiritual privilege after spiritual privilege. He had done that like no other people, and yet still uh, they had rebelled. I don't know if you have a dog, but um, from what I've observed, I don't have one, but I can see why people call dogs uh, man's best friend. Maybe to be politically correct, I should say people's best friend. Uh, Dogs know who their masters are, and dogs generally do what their masters tell them to do. Uh, What a contrast for God's people here. Look at verse 3. The ox knows his master, the donkey, his owner's manger. Manager, manger. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Animals don't rebel against their owner and master, but God's people did. They rebelled against the Lord. And this rebellion is so tragic because it is so deeply rooted in them. It is ingrained. Even when God disciplines his old covenant people, To bring them to their senses, they do not stop. They do not heed his discipline. Look at verse 5. Why should you be beaten anymore? Why do you persist in rebellion? So, uh, the people won't repent. In verses 5 and 6, they were suffering like a wounded man. It talks in verses 7 and 8 of the country being devastated as a result by foreign invasion. They wouldn't repent. And it was only because of God's mercy in verse 9 that they were not completely destroyed. Now let's pull into the lay-by for a minute and reflect on this together. Now does this not show us the frightening power of sin? Now the grip of sin on people's lives. Now doesn't it reveal what Scripture says that by nature we are slaves to sin. Although God's old covenant people had been set free from slavery in Egypt, they hadn't been set free from their slavery to sin. Despite all their spiritual privileges, their hearts still rebel against the Lord and they despise his discipline. Uh, One of my uh, ways of relaxing at moments, maybe it's a bit Morbid, but I, I do enjoy reading a, this uh, Reader's Digest book called Book of Disasters. Uh, it charts the disasters throughout all of history, uh, and it is mortifying to read at the scale of the loss of life, sometimes through natural disasters going right back into antiquity. Uh, huge volcanoes erupting, uh, tsunamis, and it actually brings home uh, the devastating power of nature. And yet, we see the devastating power of God being brought to bear on his people. And yet still, uh, it didn't cause them to heed the warning. It didn't break the grip of sin over their lives. And it therefore begs the question, uh, what hope is there? 
Are we all condemned just to the same fate? This vision Isaiah. It starts with a problem, but as we read on, it will reveal to us God's solution. In his vision, Isaiah will see a time in the future when there will be a people who do know God and who love him. Isaiah looks to a future when there will be a people whose hearts are not stuck in rebellion, but who obey him and who are transformed through him. And the question is this. As we read Isaiah and we see that forged trajectory, the question is, how will that transformation come about? And of course, you know the answer to every question now, if you're in Sunday school, and even if you're not, if you're not sure of the answer, the answer is, of course, Jesus. That's right. He is at the center of God's plans for the world. And in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah sees a person, someone who God will send to fix things once and for all. Uh, one way of dividing up the book of Isaiah is to see the whole vision as being about Jesus. Uh, the person of Jesus is foreshadowed uh, in, in three different ways. Uh, chapters 1 to 37, as the king. Uh, chapters 38 to 55, as the servant, indeed the suffering servant. And then chapters 57 to 66, as the anointed conqueror. Who is the king? It's Jesus. Uh, soon at carol services all, the ra- all around the world, chapter 9 uh, will be read and may be sung. Because there, of course, we have that amazing refrain in Handel's Messiah. For unto us a child is born. It's from Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to see it together. It is the child who will come. It is the servant who will come. And at Easter services, next Easter, uh, Churches across the land and throughout the world will be reading the prophecies in Isaiah 53, which of course talks about the one who will be wounded for our transgressions. It is the anointed conqueror, and it is Jesus. Uh, Jesus, of course, begins his public ministry uh, by quoting from Isaiah. If you read in Luke chapter 4, he actually quotes Isaiah 61, which is all about the Messiah and what he'll come to do, and then he says these startling words. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The figure talked about in Isaiah 61 is me, Jesus says in Luke chapter 4. So you see, Jesus is the solution. He's the solution to spiritual rebellion. Uh, It's only through Jesus that we can break out of this cycle of sin that we've seen in chapter 1 of Isaiah. Jesus is the one who sets us free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin. He is the one who alone can conquer the rebel heart. In Jesus, we find forgiveness and power to change. Of course, a new dynamic is at work in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives. Now, through the Spirit, we do know God and we are moved to love God more and to obey Him more and to accept his loving discipline over our lives. So you see, Isaiah chapter 1 is not a description of a Christian. Really, Isaiah chapter 1 is a description of what we would have been like if we hadn't become a Christian. 
uh, we need to beware reading a passage like Isaiah chapter 1 and seeing it as a description of God's people today because that is to ignore uh, where Old Testament prophecy comes in salvation history and how the Bible works. What we need to do is this. Uh, We need to see how this Old Testament ray of light is refracted as it passes through the prism of the gospel. We need to see how this Old Testament ray of light is fulfilled in Christ. Uh, Next year, uh, and I've mentioned this once before, if you weren't here, here is your second bite of the cherry. Uh, We are going to have a sermon series which works through an overview of the whole Bible. Uh, It is an incredible thing to do, and it's very exciting to see how the whole Bible fits together. And that is what we're going to do as we read Isaiah, uh, starting to see how the Old Testament points to the New, how it all fits together. So, uh, what lessons can we learn from this first section we've been looking at? Uh, For a start, it exposes what is truly wrong with the world. Uh, What is wrong with our world? What is wrong with our society? Uh, What indeed is wrong with me? The root of what is wrong is rebellion against the Lord God. You see, the default setting of our hearts is ultimately to rebel against him. Uh, to reject God's authority over us, uh, to resent God rather than to love him and to obey him. And you see, that is the problem, therefore, that needs fixing. Uh, You'll know, of course, if you're familiar with history and politics, that over the years people have tried many different ways of fixing uh, the problems of the world and society uh, through politics, through social reform, uh, through education, through arts, through the sciences, through technology. And yet, have any of them ultimately worked? Of course, they haven't. Uh, The world is still a mess. And the reason is this. All these solutions misdiagnose the problem. Because at the root of everything that has gone wrong is this wrong relationship with the Lord God himself, this rebellious heart. And it's only Jesus that can sort that out. And it is only Jesus who can therefore give us the answers to life that we need so desperately. Only Jesus can change a rebel heart. Uh, Another interesting principle to draw out of what we've seen so far in chapter 1 is this. Uh, It's not enough to be surrounded by spiritual privileges. Uh, We may indeed have been brought up in a Christian country. Uh, We may have even had the privilege of being brought up in a Christian home. Uh, We may have been involved with church for many years. But in the end, uh, the bottom line is how we respond to Jesus. Uh, All that counts for nothing if we don't respond rightly to him. So you see, if we respond rightly to this passage, uh, we should be moved to a deeper sense of gratitude to Christ. To love him more and to thank him for what he's delivered us from. Uh, It is only him who has brought about this change in our hearts. Apart from him, we would still be like the people in Isaiah chapter 1, slaves to sin. But Jesus, of course, is the son who has set us free. And that is something to delight in and to praise him for. And of course, we need to ask him, please continue to change me through your Holy Spirit. 
as that great hymn says, oh, for a heart to praise my God, a heart from sin set free. That is what we want to pray for. God, please continue to change me through your indwelling spirit. So, first thing we've seen then is the spiritual rebellion. The second thing we see is empty religion in verses 10 to 20. When we look at the second section, we see all the more clearly how much we need Jesus. Of course, the Old Testament worship centered on the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, And that worship consisted of uh, animal sacrifices and festivals. And indeed, this was what God's plan was. This was God's provision to his people. Uh, It's apparent from verses 10 to 15 that God's people had been very diligent in keeping all these religious rules and ceremonies. But by this stage in their history, uh, God is not impressed. Look at verse 11. Uh, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. Uh, In fact, we see that God actually hates this spiritual hypocrisy. Uh, The language is very strong. Look at verse 13. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Uh, Verse 14. Your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. Uh, Wasn't this what God had commanded them to do? Uh, In verse 13, God tells them what was wrong. He says this, I cannot bear your evil assemblies. You see, it was all a sham. Uh, They were going through the motions. Uh, They were observing the religious ceremonies which God had given them. But it was a sham, and God hated it. Uh, Isaiah began his ministry in 740 BC, in the year that King Uzziah died. And it was a time of great prosperity in Israel. But sadly, it was also a time of great corruption. Uh, The religious observance continued. The temple business was going full steam ahead. But all the while, the people's hearts were in rebellion against God, And their lives were unchanged. And that is what God hates. And as a result, we see that God says he will not listen to the prayers of his people. Look at verse 15. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Even if you offer many prayers, I will not listen Your hands are full of blood. It's very stark language. What does God want from them? God wants repentance. He wants change. Uh, God gives a whole set of commands uh, in verses 16 onwards. Uh, Look at them. Uh, Verse 16 says this. Wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. God didn't just want religious ritual. He wanted changed hearts and changed lives. 
And if they would only turn from the rebellion, if only they would repent, if only they would seek forgiveness, God was there to completely wash them and forgive them. Look at these beautiful words, which are very, a very famous verse in Isaiah. And maybe um, this is a special verse for you. And it comes in this context. Look at verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Uh, sadly, uh, God's people didn't repent. Uh, they didn't change. And in verses 19 to 20, God lays out the two options. Repent and have life. Don't and experience death. And sadly, verse 20 reveals they chose poorly. Verse 20 says this, but if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. And of course, what do we know from history? Uh, that is what happened. But in his vision... Isaiah will go on to see a future time when there will be a people who do worship God rightly and who practice true heart religion and who are truly pleasing to God. Uh, Isaiah looks to the future and sees a people who one day will walk in God's paths and obey his words. And as we'll particularly see next week in chapter 2. And we go to the very end of Isaiah, in the penultimate verse, chapter 66, verse 23, it says this, Ultimately, all mankind will come and bow before me. One day, there will be a body of people who will come before God and truly bow down and worship him. How would this true worship come about? The answer again, of course, is Jesus. It's interesting to note the context in which Jesus came at the time. Uh, what was the state of Israel? Uh, when Jesus comes, uh, false religion is in a sense still in full swing. Uh, it's epitomized, of course, by the Pharisees. Uh, they worship God with their lips, but we learn that their hearts are far from him. But Jesus said uh, he would ultimately turn people into true worshippers. Remember Jesus' conversation with the woman by the well in Samaria. He says, I desire people who will worship God in spirit and in truth, who will live changed lives. And of course, through trusting in Christ, people are changed from the inside out. They are born again by his spirit. They are moved to worship God in spirit and in truth. They become the good tree that Jesus talks about that bears the good fruit, the fruit of good works in their lives. For those who are seeking God, uh, this of course tells people what God is after. He doesn't just want people to get religious. He wants them to become true worshippers. And it can only happen through Jesus. And apart from Jesus, uh, people may become very religious, but in the end of the day, there'll be nothing more than those who have the heart of a Pharisee. Strict religion, but no change of life. And how does God view that? 
He hates it. Uh, This week I was speaking to a man who uh, was recounting how he once had had some sort of faith. Uh, He didn't define that, but he said how he had been put off uh, by the hypocrisy, the repeated hypocrisy he had seen in people who had called themselves Christians. What could I say? Uh, I didn't know what experiences he had had. And of course, the reality is that uh, people who do call themselves Christians often are not truly Christians in their hearts. And their conduct reflects that. How tragic. Uh, This man had seen hypocrisy and as a result had written off the gospel saying, if that's what it's all about, I'm not having a bar of it. If only I could have um, talked to him from Isaiah, because I could have said to him, I did say to him that God is no person's fool, but I could have said with authority from Isaiah chapter 1, you know what? God hates hypocritical religion. He doesn't condone it. He hates it. So, that's the second thing we see. Uh, The... uh, False, empty religion. And the final thing we see is the divine resolution in verses 21 to 31. Uh, This ultimately is a glimpse of the final solution, uh, God's solution. Uh, This points to the action he's going to ultimately take. In verses 21 to 24, uh, we see uh, the fate of the faithless city. Uh, We now start to use this image of Uh, the people of God being uh, identified as a city, either faithless or faithful. Look at verse 21. See how the faithful city has become a harlot. Uh, She once was full of justice. Uh, These old covenant people were guilty of becoming like harlots, uh, being uh, being unfaithful to God. And verse 29 exposes their idolatry uh, starkly. And as a result, judgment is on its way. Look at verse 24. Therefore, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, the Mighty One of Israel declares, I will get relief from my foes and avenge myself on mine enemies. God was going to bring judgment on those who rebelled against him who declared themselves ultimately their enemies against God. He would come in vengeance, and when he did so, uh, that would be the end for these rebels. Verse 28 says this, But rebels and sinners will both be broken, and those who forsake the Lord will perish. And soberingly, the chapter ends in chapter 1 with these rebels and their work being burned up, which actually says, with a fire which no one will quench. What Isaiah saw in his vision became a reality. Uh, In the end, uh, this destruction did come on Judah and Jerusalem when the Assyrians and then the Babylonians invaded. Uh, But that destruction in history foreshadows the destruction which will come at the end of time. The very last verses in the book of Isaiah pictures the ultimate fate of rebels against the Lord. Chapter 66, verse 24, said, The Lord says, people will, and I quote, Look on the bodies, on on the dead bodies of those who rebelled against me, where the worm will not die, nor will their fire be quenched, and they will be loathsome to all mankind. What an awesome and gruesome picture of God's judgment. 
And do you know who else then takes these words and uses them? It is Jesus himself. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus takes these words of Isaiah and uses them to describe hell. Uh, Sometimes, of course, being a rebel is seen by people as being a cool thing. Oh, I'm just a bit of a rebel, people say. But there is nothing cool about being a rebel against the Lord. God's judgment is coming, and ultimately, rebels will be overthrown. And in the end, uh, it won't be the case of just love winning through. The only thing which will make a difference is if people have made their peace through Jesus. As surely as God's judgment came on his old covenant people, so it will also come on all who continue to rebel against the Lord. And ultimately the faithless city will be destroyed. But in his vision, through the smoke and the flames, Isaiah sees something else. He sees a faithful city, a purified city, rising like a phoenix from the ashes. Look at verse 26. Afterwards, you will be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city, and Zion will be redeemed with justice, her penitent ones with righteousness. Things did go badly wrong with the old city of Jerusalem. Uh, What is going to stop that happening again? What will break that cycle? It is, of course, the promised king who will come. It is the king in the line of David who will rule over the new city of Jerusalem. In other words, the kingdom of God. And this king will make the difference. He will redeem a people for himself. And in him, they will become the faithful city. And that is what is happening. Jesus the king has come. The kingdom has begun. The new city is taking shape. And when the king returns the kingdom will be finally revealed in all its glory. And then the faithful city will be revealed in all its glory. It's interesting, when you get to the last chapter, last two chapters of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, it picks up on the imagery of the city. And we see the perfect Jerusalem descending from heaven to earth. And God, the voice there says, Behold, I'm making everything new. It's a picture of God's people living with him in the metaphor of the new city in the renewed world. Uh, Isaiah has actually been called at the tale of two cities, uh, the faithless city that will be destroyed and the faithful city that one day will last forever. Firstly, the rebels and the sinners who who perish, but secondly, those who repent and follow Jesus who will live in the city forever. So you see, Uh, It doesn't really matter which city you live in, whether it's Sydney or Singapore, uh, Brisbane or Bangkok, but it does matter which of the cities in Isaiah you live in. Because this is where history is heading. And God has revealed his plans so that we can align our lives with them now. So, in conclusion, 800 years after Isaiah saw this vision, The person at the heart of the book came, the king, the servant, the conqueror. And he alone is the one who can change the rebel heart. 
He alone is the one who can make us true worshippers of a God. He alone is the one who can give us an eternal future in the faithful city. And in becoming his followers, we become the true people of God. And throughout the ages since, Jesus has called people, saying, like he did to those first disciples, follow me. So, if we're followers of Jesus, uh, what we've seen today should make us all the more heartfelt thankful to him. Uh, It's easy to forget, isn't it, what we would be apart from Christ, especially if we've been a Christian for a long time. But the reality is this. Without Christ, we would still be in the grip of our spiritual rebellion. Unless he had opened the eyes of our hearts, that would still be true to us. We would be slaves still to sin. Maybe we would still be slaves to just hypocritical religion, just going through the motions without any heart reality. But Jesus has delivered us from that, and he has given us hearts that have been transformed, and he's given us his spirit, and the spirit helps us, and the spirit changes us. And therefore, let us thank God all the more, and indeed serve him, as we sang in our previous song, with lives which are living sacrifices, as we saw in Romans 12. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the King, uh, the Anointed One, the Conqueror, but also the Servant, the Suffering Servant. Isaiah points ahead wonderfully and incredibly to Jesus, who fulfills everything that Isaiah predicts uh, and promises. Uh, Thank you for Jesus, and help us, we pray, uh, to revel in his love and in his work in our hearts and lives, uh, to submit willingly to his rule over us, and to joyfully move forward, uh, never losing sight of that eternal destiny to which he has called us and which is secure in him. Life and eternity in a renewed creation, joyfully in the presence of your redeemed people and ultimately in the presence of yourself. Amen.